This morning, as I said, one of the things I do every year is talk about the persecuted church, and I specifically do this because I think it teaches us something. I think it's valuable in our lives as, as followers of Jesus to be reminded that there's a great big family out there that you don't know everybody because it's impossible to know everybody, but there's a great big family out there that also loves Jesus and follows him. But oftentimes, depending on where you are in the world, it's not always easy to follow Jesus. But there's something that binds us and unites us, and it's the fact that just because you love Jesus, people are against you. It blows my mind, but it happens. And so in that way, maybe it's a different language, different culture, different food, different dress, different upbringing, different ethnicity, but something is binding in this family. And that's Jesus. And your love for him and their love for him And the fact that we've got to face some difficulties in life as a result of simply wanting to follow Jesus, giving our lives to him, and trying to follow his teachings creates problems in our life. So what I want to talk about today is just expose us to a little bit of that, how that binds us, doesn't matter what part of the country, what part of the world, what part of this planet you find yourself in. There's a a call in scripture to tell us to stand firm in what we believe in that faith, that faith that we sung about. I I hope that as a result of being here, it helps you, it encourages you, it, it makes you feel better, it gets you ready for the week ahead, but there's more going on than just that with following Jesus. And that's an important thing to remember. I want to bring that out this morning. Something that Peter said to a group of believers First uh, Peter chapter five verse eight and nine. We we did a sermon series in First Peter. We did the whole letter together a couple of years ago, and Peter's talking to a group of people, not necessarily Christians, facing the Colosseum, you know, like being thrown into the Colosseum and being eaten by lions because they're because they love Jesus. This is a different kind of persecution that Peter's talking about, but he says the same things to them that were said to other Christians facing maybe more extreme kinds of persecution. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The enemy, the devil, is prowling around looking for someone to devour. So the image I have is if you're out in the Sahara and you have the tall grass and the the lion is kind of crouching down, you cannot see it. And it's just waiting for the right moment to pounce. Either that little weak animal is kind of pulling away from the rest of the herd. It's injured in some way. It's not as strong as the other ones. And at the right moment, the lion pounces. Peter's giving us that imagery. As soon as you walk out of here, Satan's just waiting to do that same thing. So be alert and sober mind that is happening all around us. Don't be confused about what the enemy desires to do. And that enemy is very, very crafty. And he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, you are not unique in this. Our brothers and sisters in Nepal, in Japan, in China, in India, in Liberia, 
in Mozambique, in Mexico, in Colombia, you name the country. We're not unique. But you know, we know, the family of believers throughout the entire world is undergoing the same sufferings you and I are. And in that way, God somehow, through his spirit, unites us together, surrounded or surrounding ourselves by the teachings of Jesus. And simply because we seek to do that, the enemy, the devil, has many legions that he uses on his behalf. Some willingly, some unexpectedly, but they're all prowling around looking for opportunity to pounce. And so it's important for us to know what do some of our brothers and sisters around the world have to go through? Like what do they experience? But I also want to highlight what you and I experience because when we see or hear the word persecution, we might think, well, that happens, and you can see some of these countries here in the world where it happens, that happens because they're, they're actually being killed for their faith. Maybe they're being imprisoned for their faith. Maybe they're going through beatings and torturing for their faith. And we think persecution just equals that. But what Jesus talks about in Matthew's gospel, you can reread that at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is giving a sermon on the mount. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and speak falsely about you and do all kinds of persecution takes all kinds of forms. So when I'm in another country, as just in Japan, we're talking about what kinds of things do we face in America? How can our Japanese brothers and sisters be praying for us in the United States? So this map put out by Open Doors Ministry, that's a ministry specifically for uh, persecuted Christians. I've been here for 10 years now, and so for 10 years you've been hearing about Voice of the Martyrs. That's another organization specifically their ministry is to persecuted Christians and their families. Uh, some of you as a result of Sundays like this get their newsletter. It's just a small magazine that kind of talks about persecution that takes place different places on this map, shares their stories, stories about courage and faith that's standing firm, stories about forgiveness and how they've forgiven their persecutors, stories about how God continues to bring people to himself, even in places where it's illegal to do that. So that magazine is free. Uh, you can go online, persecution.com, and sign up for it. I probably got some of their little note cards in, in uh, my office that if you want one, you can sign up for it. It's just your name and address, and you can get it to your house, and it just tells us those stories. And so this map is kind of showing us where those extreme cases are. It's my extreme. Uh, we mean it is absolutely illegal to believe in Jesus. It's illegal to own a Bible. It's illegal to gather together in a church like this. So if the country's in red, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, it, it is very dangerous to believe, and in, in many of those places, the church is what they would call underground. And even in some of those very high, that would be the orange color, uh, those very high places, the, the church might be underground, which means they're not meeting in a building like this. They're getting messages to each other and kind of gathering together in someone's house or in some location that's undisclosed, and you only know about it you know, the night before you actually come together to worship. But they believe so strongly in this that they still do that. 
And so this map has kind of given us a little picture. If you are a follower of Jesus and say the country of India, right now things are extreme there, and I bring that up because it wasn't that long ago that I was sharing with you. Churches within our own denomination, EC churches in northeast India, which would be this section right there. That's northeast India. Uh, And I'll show you a picture just to remind you. They were being persecuted simply because they followed Jesus. Lots of violence to different groups of people uh, fighting each other, but finding the opportunity to persecute Christians at the same time. And so if you live in India, it's kind of dangerous right now to be a follower of Jesus. In places like uh, China, it's not illegal. They do have churches. They're called state churches. Um, but again, it's teaching something different than what the scriptures are teaching. And in fact, if you were following the news and you saw anything about uh, China, they were actually changing uh, up the Bible. They're rewriting the Bible. Uh, These Middle Eastern countries in here, uh, a lot of that is due primarily, this is Africa over here, but most of those places are uh, 90% Islamic. And so again, it's illegal to be a Christian in those places. Some of these places over here, you should know that country, that's Mexico. Uh, It's just dangerous in general to be uh, a person in Mexico right now with all the drug cartel battles that are taking place. It's, uh, I see those reports all the time and our churches aren't, our churches would be over in this section over here, like Monterey area and Rio Bravo area. It's dangerous over there. So this is just a map. This is, if you love Jesus, It's not always the safest thing to love Jesus in some of these places, yet they continue to follow him. And um, this is a picture that I I showed to you a few months back, Um, trying to remember, I think it was April, May when it was all taking place, the persecution. Uh, This gentleman here is Reverend Palzak Tong, and he is the general director of the EC churches in India. He's standing on locations where the government or others came in and destroyed churches and houses. If they found out you were an elder at the church, you held some kind of leadership at the church, they destroyed your house. And in fact, uh, the government was taking all the materials that were laying around destroyed, and they were taking them away so you couldn't rebuild your home. So we responded to that need, even though the government of India was trying to block uh, foreign currency from getting into the country to help all of these people. Refugee camps started sprouting up, and so Reverend Palzak Tong and other leaders from the EC Churches of India took rice, water, other basic needs, and in four different refugee camps, they held revival services. Because that rice is only going to feed you for a little while, they knew people needed to hear about Jesus. And so in the midst of all of that, they're talking and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And even when your house is a wreck, it's still good news. It doesn't change to okay news. It's still good news. That's important for us to remember. So that persecution is taking place around that map. If you noticed in the United States of America, there was no color. It wasn't illegal for you to come here this morning and gather together in a church that expressly teaches uh, things out of the Bible. These are just four headlines. I pulled out, Google searched it, Christian uh, attacks or whatever, 
challenges to Christian faith, whatever the case may be. This is from 2023, not just in this last month, but in this past year. This is all um, headlines from media in the United States of America. Bank of America, that's a pretty big bank. Debanks another ministry, which means they close their accounts. You can no longer have funds in this account. It was a ministry trying to do discipleship training in Uganda. That's a country in Africa. And they weren't embezzling money. There was no money laundering going on. They weren't doing illicit things. They were trying to do discipleship, trying to teach people about business in Uganda and use that as an opportunity to do discipleship. Their, their bank account was closed. You might have heard some of those other places within the United States that was closing bank accounts because they're Christians, because they're doing and teaching things from the Scripture. Now, it's pretty hard to do much of anything if you don't have a bank account. This past weekend, we went on a homeschool field trip, and I needed a credit card because the place that we went was cashless. I couldn't just take a pile of money with me and spend it there. My credit card happens to be Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, J.P. Morgan Chase has been also, depending on who you are, closing accounts. Now, fortunately, I don't have much money, so they could care less about the money going through their account for me. But depending on how much money you have, depending on how big your ministry is, how are you going to supply, help, do whatever you got to do if you have no account? And if you're just shut down simply because, oh, what are you teaching? No. Well, we disagree with this part of your business aspect, and so we're going to shut you down. Uh, the next headline, how the Respect for Marriage Act will hurt religious liberty. This is the Obergefell decision that happened at the Supreme Court, and of course, you know, we're not talking about Jesus. We're not talking about the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and he's reconciled us to God through his death. He's given us life and forgiveness, and because of him, we have eternal life. What does that have to do with marriage? Well, you know how I know that that's true? I read it in the Bible. I didn't see it happen. I read about it. I read about it in the Bible, and I believe this is true. Well, I kind of get that same information about marriage. And because I'm a Christian and I believe that, the, that marriage equals a man and woman coming together, leaving mom, leaving dad, and coming together, and apparently God thought the building blocks for functioning, flourishing human societies was two people coming together, and as a result of that coming together, life is formed. And if you're going to have a civilization that works, those are the building blocks, mother and father. And because I believe that, you might be shut down. Again, uh, we don't have a whole lot of followers, subscribers on YouTube, so they could probably care less about me. But all it needs is the right kind of algorithm. And this little church in Schuylkill Haven said X. And now if you're watching at home, uh, they might turn it off. So what if your organization, we live in a digital world. Nobody's sending out lots of mailers anymore. Unless, you know, you're a political candidate and then they just send you one every day. And I'm like, I just put this in my recycling bin. I wonder how much money it costs you to do this. Nobody's really doing that anymore. 
Everything's online. So what if you can't do what you do because they shut you down online? What if like during COVID and we weren't even meeting, the only way you did it was online? And simply because you think this guy and this girl is the only thing that happens with marriage, just because you think that, because it comes from this book we call the Bible. This is another headline. In United States of America, FBI memo, maybe you saw this one, comes out and says, in Catholic churches, people are being labeled potential terrorists. Now, it wasn't because they found this church was doing something illegal. It wasn't because a criminal was attending that church and that criminal was dangerous. It was simply they went there. You hear the things they're saying? That this guy Jesus is talking about or this thing they call the Bible is saying? Because they believe those things, they are now potential terrorists. In Massachusetts, a couple wants to try and help their community out. This kid is coming from a busted up, broken up family and is struggling and he's in the foster, she's in the foster care system and they want to foster this child. Wait a second. You go to that church over there? You believe those things? Uh, Application denied. There was a court case, I think, in Philadelphia area about an adoption agency trying to do that same thing based on Christian beliefs and values and wanting to extend that kind of love to this child who has no mom or dad because they've given them up. But simply because you believe what you believe, you're denied that application. You can't receive that child. So when we think about persecution, there is something that unites the family of believers around the world. So when I go to Japan, when I go to Nepal, when I go to India, and they say, hey, how can we pray for you in the United States? I've got a ways that they can be praying for us. You know, simply because you think your son or daughter is a boy or a girl, the state can come in and they can say, well, you are dangerous and unfit to that child, and we're going to remove them from your house. In the state of Ohio, that was a court case that was happening, seeking to remove this child from their house. And if you were in the connection group that meets this morning, you heard a story about that happening around here too unfit parents because of what they believe about Jesus. That's it. Because I love Jesus and what he says in these teachings. I'm just like my brother or sister in India right now whose house was destroyed. It's different. And thank God they're not destroying our houses. I hope it doesn't come to that. There's something that unites this family of believers. This family of God. And there's something important for us as Christians in the United States of America that we need to understand, that our brothers and sisters understand, that I just want to draw out here briefly. It's going to start with a video. I'm going to show this video. It's about a, a little kid in Nepal. And what he faced simply because he started following Jesus. And the important thing about what we believe whether or not this is true, this light that Jesus shines into the darkness, this 
reality that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This truth, that's an important word. And it's important to this little guy in Nepal as well. I never chose to become a Buddhist monk. My parents chose it for me. They sent me far away to a monastery. And my father left me there. For the next nine years, I was trained to be a monk. Eight hours a day, seven days a week. All I did was memorize and recite. Memorize and recite. The words of the Buddhist text spoke of peace and tranquility. But my teachers lived something very different. I was 13 when I finally ran away from the monastery. You left the monastery, why? Shame! My father said I had shamed the family because I didn't finish my training. He enrolled me in first grade. He would begin my education all over again. Okay, so today we have a new student joining us. So everyone say hello to Sejun. You? You? And you take your name. One of my teachers talked to me with respect, showed me a kindness I never experienced in monastery. You can read this for me. Uh, the first John. Okay, great. God showed how much he loved us by sending his He's one, one, and only. What is this? Huh? You're not supposed to read these types of books in the house.
Hey, Sezur, where are you going? I don't know. I can't go home. have given me a place to stay. I'm reading more from the book David gave me. I have read about the light. It is the light I want. So one of the things the Voice of the Martyrs was focusing on through the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church was uh, regarding uh, Jesus being the light of the world, and that's the, the passage that they used um, to highlight today's message was Jesus speaking to a group of people. He's in Jerusalem at this point, and he's making a claim here that Basically, this idea of being the light of the world is being God. Jesus, if you read John's gospel, does not shy away from making the claim that he is God in flesh. The fullness of God dwells in him. And he sa it says in John's gospel, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, is that true or not? Are we going to believe that or not? Are we going to follow that or not? Because there's an aspect of Sezun's story that what he's experienced following Jesus at a young age. Now, obviously, those are actors in that. There are actors in that story. Um, but it's a true story of, of events that have taken place. And one of the things Voice of the Martyrs does is they provide for Sezun because he is not with his family. And in fact, a couple of years ago, our EC Church of Nepal, uh, the leader there, Reverend Janga, uh, shared with me that a, a young girl from their church was kind of ostracized from her family and was able to only stay outside of the family home. And her, I believe it was her mother, I can't remember, was sneaking food to her because she couldn't come inside again because she was following Jesus. Now, this is important. This truth, this claim that Jesus made, is he the light of the world? Is he the one that helps make sense of all of life and make sense of my own life and my need for a Savior? Is that true or not? And, and I bring that up because sometimes we, we don't understand that about Christianity. In the United States of America, we kind of separate the two out 
And right now within our culture, lots of things are based upon feeling. Even truth itself is kind of sidelined to what we feel and how we feel about something. That happens to the, even biologically, do I feel like a male or a female today? Feelings have trumped truth. And that even creeps into the church sometimes and we ask ourselves, well, has Christianity made me feel any better? Will my life get better if I become a Christian? Ted, I'd love to follow Jesus if he could do this for me. You mean God is like that magic genie in the sky? And I pray when I need something, when I want something, and then when he doesn't answer, he's not as good or as powerful as he's not who I thought he was. That's all based on how I feel. You know, sometimes people go to church because it makes them feel better, and I hope it does. I hope you feel better when you walk out of here today. And there's churches built off of that, providing this spiritual high every Sunday. You keep coming back and coming back and coming back for more until one day the darkness is pretty dark all around you and you're not feeling it today. Am I still going to follow? I've talked to people that don't go to church anymore because they don't think it has any bearing in their life anymore. What's, I'm not getting anything out of it. It just doesn't make me feel the way that I thought it made could or should make me feel? What happens when that doesn't take place? What happens, see, God does all of it. It's not separated. What happens when we don't feel that close to Jesus? You know, I was here yesterday. This, this place was packed. I told you, standing room only. I mean, I, I don't know how many, we didn't count. There had to be 300 plus people here standing along the sides here. We had chairs in the center aisle. They were in the lobby packed with people. Do I still believe all the stuff I just sang about when I got to stand before that group of people and claim that Jesus and following him is good news? As Christians, do we still feel that? How about Sezun? Oh, my teacher showed an interest in me and now I'm reading the Bible. And now my family has disowned me. And I have to go live with somebody else. Is this true or not? It matters in our lives. Because we're not always going to feel the same way. And church isn't always going to make us feel the same way. And sometimes in life, even as a pastor, and I got to bury an 18-year-old kid that was a great kid, Is this still true? Is God still who he says he is? Is it still worth believing in Jesus? I believe it is. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And I believe that I needed to tell everybody there that day, yesterday, that it is still good news and you should follow Jesus. Is this still good news to Sezun? This little boy who's following Jesus, was baptized. And then his mom asked him, and that's usually how it happens. I've heard that story over and over again. This child comes to Christ. Now his parents want to find out about it. And oftentimes, the last one to make the budge is dad. That's in every culture for whatever reason. 
us dudes, we don't need God, we don't need Jesus, we can do it all on our own. In the American context, I think this is important truth for us to know. Am I still going to follow? Am I still going to worship? Is it still worth getting out of bed, coming here to this place, and honoring this Jesus? Is this true or not? We read the stuff in the Bible all the time. I share it with you. I read it with you. Maybe you read devotions. Maybe you're doing other uh, Bible studies. Here's a passage from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. John is making a specific claim about who Jesus is. He is God. And there were no other gods but him. Another place in John, you'll hear Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Buddhism can't get you there. Hinduism can't get you there. Islam can't get you there. Your own secular religion, however you want to create it, can't get you there. Only Jesus can get you there. Is that true or not? That's the question that we have to answer. If it's true, I'll give my whole life to it. This little kid's doing it. Stand firm in what we believe. John opens up making a very specific claim, and we read over that. Maybe we've heard it a hundred times, but he's making a claim about Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. All the way back to Genesis, we read that. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was a part of all of that. And it says, if you want to find life, life for all of humanity is found in him. And because that is true, there is no darkness that can overcome the truth of that statement. Even when I don't feel it. God, you're working. Even when I can't see it, God, you're still working. And even if you don't work in this situation or in that situation, it doesn't change how good this news is. Because Christianity isn't based on a feeling. Now, God works in all of us, all of me as a human being. I can stand up here, sing these songs today that we sang, and it makes me feel something. I'm singing them, getting choked up, so I stop singing. There is feeling to all this, but I feel that because I believe that it's true, that no matter what happens in my life, no matter what I've got to do as a pastor, you can't shake the truth of Jesus out of me. You can't beat the truth of, Z, of Jesus at a Sezun. You can't take the truth out of that Christian in a prison cell in China because they love Jesus. There's something that binds us and unites us as the family of God. And it doesn't matter if you're old or young, Satan doesn't care that Sezun was just a little boy. He doesn't care. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You know that lion on the Sahara? It doesn't care that, oh, you see that cute little gazelle? You're watching it on National Geographic? Oh, that thing's so cute. Do you think that lion cares? It doesn't. It's like, oh, there's lunch. Satan doesn't care. 
This is so foundational in who we are as followers of Jesus. We are trying to put this into our lives, into our children's lives because of how important this truth is. And as kids, if you grew up in Sunday school, you had the benefit of hearing this. Not everybody did. But unless you put on this full armor of God, it's going to be hard for you to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what Paul says to this church, lots of churches in the area known as Ephesus. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Because just when you think you've got him beat, he's tricked you again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, because that is true, whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, because that is true, therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when the darkness seems to be surrounding you, when you just don't feel it today, when that day comes, you are going to be able to stand your ground. And after you've done all that, after you've put on your full armor of God, Paul says you will be able to stand. Now that is an important truth. Yesterday's services only drove that deeper in my own life than it has been before. I, you know, I just, I don't know whatever is going to come up. I get home from Japan on Wednesday night. I see Brady out here at the bank. If you saw the bank, it's been torn up. He did that, planted grass seed. He was there Wednesday night when I got home. By Friday night, I was going to the hospital. I have no clue what kind of phone call I'm going to get and what kind of situation I'm walking into. And neither do you. And neither did Sezun, and neither did plenty of other people. Is what I believe true? Am I willing to stand firm when the day of evil comes, when the darkness seems to surround? And I remember, oh yeah, what did John say? Oh yeah, the darkness cannot, will not overcome the light. Jesus in dark days is still the light of the world. The day of prayer for the persecuted church is just really my way of reminding us. You don't have to go far to experience it. Those headlines are proof of that. And we've got to ask ourselves, is what I believe true? If it is, I'm willing to stake my life on it no matter what happens. And that's going to be important because we don't know when that day of evil is going to come. We don't know when that day of darkness is going to come. But when it does, this little kid in Nepal, he stands firm in his faith. When it does in our life, we can stand firm in our faith. You know, there's a whole big world out there. Feels pretty dark. If you've been following the news, it really feels dark. Please do not forget this truth. And the truth that Jesus is, as he said in John 8, he still is the light of the world. And that light is the life for all of mankind. And there's plenty of people out there that need some life. You can breathe that into them.
by coming alongside them and telling them about Jesus. And in a church, this family of believers, when they're suffering and your knees are a little wobbly and you're not sure you can stand on your own, guess what? Just look around. There's someone sitting beside you. I don't think anyone's sitting in a pew by themselves. If you look to your left, to your right, there's an arm, there's an arm. When you can't walk, you put your arm around somebody else. That's what prayer is. That's why we pray for the persecuted church. I'm going to close right now, and we're going to pray for that, and then we're going to sing a song about how in the midst of those challenges we can still praise God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story about Sezun. Lord, that even this young boy in Nepal can stand firm on that day of trial, that day of challenge, that day of evil, that he is standing firm in his faith because of the truth of Christianity. Because Jesus is the light of the world, we can base our lives on it, Lord. And so today, we lift up him and we lift up our brothers and sisters to you. Those who are being persecuted around the world, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit might minister to them. God, we pray that you would uplift them today through the prayers of your people, Lord, even here in the United States. God, we lift up brothers and sisters to you as well. Father, I pray too for those who have experienced darkness in their life and feel like they can't stand on their own. Lord, may we stand alongside them. And even in the midst of all that's taking place, Lord God, may we still be able to praise your name because of the truth of who Jesus is. And so, God, we close here this morning in the midst of whatever's going on in our life to give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.